Scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest or great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are returning to our series this morning in which we're taking a look at why being together on Sunday morning is so important. And what I'm hoping to impart, you know, through the course of this series is a biblical vision for the beauty and the relevancy and the necessity of being together for worship on Sunday morning. In the first sermon, we asked the question, what is worship? And we defined it as our response of adoration and devotion to the revelation of the glory of God. Our response of adoration and devotion to the revelation of the glory of God. Of God. In the second sermon, I sought to show from Psalm 87 that God is most glorified when we gather together to worship Him. For, as the psalmist says in Psalm 87, which was the text we looked at that morning, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the houses of Jacob. In the third sermon, we looked at what Paul says in Ephesians 2 about the presence of God among his people when we are gathered together for worship on Sunday mornings. And one of the things that I emphasized in that sermon, not only about that text and what it says about God's presence with us when we're gathered, but about the series as a whole, is that this series is not about either or, but rather about if then. So in other words, it is not as though you are either here present with us and worshiping God or you're not worshiping God at all. It's not about, you know, either you are here present with us experiencing something of the presence of God in worship or you're not experiencing any of the presence of God at all. It's not either or, it's if then. If it is true that these things happen Because we are believers and because the Spirit of God dwells within us and because we have access through our mediator, Jesus Christ, whether we're gathered together or not, because that is true, or if that is true, then how much more so when we are gathered together? So not either or, if then. Last week, Martin Hawley from Reformation Hope preached a sermon from 1 Peter 2, and even though it was not part of this series, it actually dovetails very nicely with this series, and especially with the sermon for this morning. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. What a great image 
living stones, meaning we're always changing. We're being shaped and formed, and, and God is using each other. He's using each of us in our lives to do that shaping and forming. So God is doing this work to build up a spiritual house by using living stones, people that he has called together for his glory. This week, I want to emphasize what the Bible says about how much we need each other on Sunday morning, how much we need each other when we're gathered on Sunday morning. So what's happening in the text that I just read? The author of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so you'll hear me refer to the author all the way through. The author concludes the good news he's been emphasizing throughout the letter. That's what the therefore in verse 19 is there for. He's summarizing everything that he said up to that point. In fact, verses 19 through 25 are one sentence in the Greek. It's application and summary. That's what's happening in that passage. He's reminding us what he's been saying throughout the letter up to that point, that Jesus Christ is both our sacrifice and our priest, Because he is our sacrifice, we have access to heaven. And because he is our priest, we have an advocate in heaven. Access, advocate. The application that he points to in this passage is absolutely glorious. What the author tells us is that we, and I'm going to use the word must because it's a command, must draw near to the living God in full assurance of faith. We must hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because God is faithful. Now, those two commands, and again, they are commands, are gladly heard, right? We don't always do those things, but we love that we're not only being invited, but actually, you know, out of God's grace and mercy, told to do these things that are very good for us. We love the fact that we are invited to draw near to God and to hold fast to our confession of faith. It's that third command about not neglecting to meet together for mutual encouragement to love and good works, that one hits a little different. Sometimes we read that passage or we hear, you know, a pastor preach on it and we think, sounds kind of legalistic, but it's not. What I hope we'll see this morning is that obeying the command to meet together For mutual encouragement to love and good works is not only a natural consequence of the good news that has just been preached throughout this letter, but is essential for our enjoyment of it. I'm going to say that again because this is really the central thesis of the sermon. Obeying the command to meet together for mutual encouragement to love and good works is not only a natural consequence of the good news that has just been preached, but is essential for our enjoyment of that good news. So to that end, there's three things I want us to see in the text. First, the inestimable value of the finished work of Christ. Inestimable, beyond calculation. Second, the inevitable struggle to enjoy it. And then third, the essential blessing of being together. 
So inestimable value, I had to say that like five times before I came up here in my head. Inestimable value of the finished work of Christ, our inevitable struggle to enjoy it, and the essential blessing of being together. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning. We do pray that you will be with us. We pray that by your spirit, you would be, um, as this author says, that you would be cutting to the division of joint and marrow, Lord, that you would be exposing the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, would you do so that we might experience more of your grace? Lord, you call us, you invite us to draw near to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do so even this morning. And help us, O oh Lord, to be an encouragement to one another to that end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the inestimable, inestimable you know, it, it, it alliterates, right? I couldn't not. Like, I knew I was going to go with invaluable, and yet, I, you know, anyway. Inevitable and in, s. In it can't be calculated, the can't-be-calculated value of the finished work of Christ. Through the finished work of Christ, we have access to heaven, and we have an advocate in heaven. That's what he's telling us in verses 19 and 20. Take a look. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. He's talking there about the fact that, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a priest who could only enter through the veil into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement <clears throat> and not without blood as a sacrifice of atonement, not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sin as well, that that way has now been opened, not into an earthly tent, not into an earthly holy of holies, but the very presence of God in heaven, the, 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 the temple, if you will, the, the place of which the earthly uh, form was just a copy. The author's telling us that we now have access through Christ into the very presence of God. He told us that earlier in uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let me read that. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He's heading toward application already here in verse uh, chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if you've read much of your Bible at all, Isaiah chapter 6, in which Isaiah is terrified because he finds himself in the very presence of God without one to make atonement for his sin, without one to bring cleansing or even in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, still good news, but we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that we do not draw near to Mount Zion, but instead we draw near to uh, Zion. We draw near to the living God. And yet, because of Christ, we are able to draw near to what is for us now the throne of grace the very presence of God where we find mercy, help in time of need, 
access, access granted through the finished work of Christ. And then secondly, we have an advocate in heaven. Look at verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near in full assurance. We have a great high priest who is over us. This is referring to Jesus Christ again. He is the one who is our advocate in heaven. John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The author of, of Hebrews has already touched on this as well back in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and 20, through 25, when he writes this, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. Charles Wesley wrote of this in the hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. The finished work of Christ is beyond calculation. Second, let's look at our inevitable struggle to enjoy it. Our inevitable struggle to enjoy it. And the two key words there are struggle and enjoy. The finished work of Christ, the gifts, the blessings that entail what we've just seen concerning access and advocacy before God, these are gifts to be enjoyed. They're not privileges that we have to earn or somehow merit. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy to be in his presence. Some of us, we live that way, don't we? Even though we, we know that that's not the case, we still live each day as if it were the case that we cannot be in the presence of God unless we have somehow earned the right to be there. You know you're feeling that way when you do sin and then shrink back from going into God's presence because you've forgotten the fact that there is one whose bleeding wounds plead for you, that Jesus Christ is still interceding for you. When you shrink back after having sinned, when you don't go to Christ or go to God through Christ in repentance, and faith to receive the mercy that is waiting for you there, there is an indication that you are in some way believing that drawing near to God is a privilege that must be earned and not a gift to be enjoyed. It is a gift of God's grace to be enjoyed. But we struggle to enjoy it. And we see the struggle in verses 22, 23, and 24. Let's look at them each in turn. Verse 22, let us draw near... With a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, our hearts sprinkled clean. That's internal work of the Holy Spirit. Bodies washed with pure water is probably referring to baptism, to that external cleansing, uh, if you will, that points to the internal cleansing that has taken place because of the work of God the Holy Spirit in us to bring us new birth. And so that's 
what is true. That's what we have if you are a Christian, if your trust is in Jesus Christ for your salvation. In light of that, and in light of everything that we just saw in verses 19 through 22, or 21, we're called to draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. True heart meaning simply wholeheartedness. Undivided heart. Not having our, our heart, which again is this, the center of your, your, you know, it's like the control center of your being. Right? It's not just your emotions, it's your volition, it's, it's your thinking, it's everything that you are directing you, not in, a, you know, not in a divided kind of a way, but in a simply a wholehearted way, a life that's directed toward God. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We often find ourselves of divided heart lacking assurance of faith. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, because your heart has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can come before God in a wholehearted way with full assurance of faith. But we struggle to do that very thing. That's my struggle. I, I know it is your struggle at times as well. We're called in verse 23 to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We struggle. I mean, the, the reason the author is saying these things is because he knows that we struggle to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That we struggle to believe that God's promises are sure and he won't renege on his promises. And so we do struggle. The, the, the blessing, the gift that we're able to enjoy, being before God, having assurance of the hope that we have in Christ because Jesus Christ is the high priest that has passed through and has now granted us access in him and is himself our advocate before the Father. Consequently, our hope need not falter, and yet it does. We struggle. But this is a gift we're called to enjoy. And then verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Again, written because we don't often consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's something that we tend to shrink back from as well. We, we take a very individualistic, you know, siloed approach to Christianity. We think of our relationship with God primarily in terms of our relationship with God. And we don't think about that horizontal aspect of what it means to be a Christian. And even if we do, we're still hesitant to draw close to someone and say, brother or sister, I want to encourage you. Or I want to admonish you from Scripture. I want to stir you up to love and good works. That too, is a familiar struggle. It's something that Scripture's telling us we're called to enjoy. It's one of the fruits or the benefits of the finished work of Christ for us, and yet that, too, we struggle to enjoy. So that takes us third to the essential blessing of being together. The essential blessing of being together. Now, first, we're going to look at verse 25, and I, I want to distinguish between not being here out of necessity 
And not being here because not being here has become a habit. Because that is something that the author of Hebrews emphasizes. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So we are in a season, we have been in a season in which out of necessity, it, is, it has at times uh, been important that we not gather together, that we not be here in this building together in worship. For some of you who are worshiping from home right now, it is still out of necessity that you are not here. And, and pandemic or not, that is still the case for some who are dealing with various health conditions during various seasons of the year or various seasons of life. It is still a matter of necessity that you not be gathering together. I am not seeking to challenge those who out of necessity are not gathered with us. I want to be abundantly clear about that. However, Scripture does challenge those of us who are falling into the habit of not gathering together on Sunday morning. So this isn't a matter of necessity that we're being addressed with here. It is a matter of have we made it habitual to not gather together on Sunday morning? The author of Hebrews will go on and tell us about the danger of apostasy for those who do not obey these three commands that have just been held before us. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately. Now again, he has just come off telling us things that we are commanded to do. Now he references sinning. It at a minimum includes the things he's just referenced. It certainly includes more things that he's referred to throughout the letter. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And then he ends that section in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The, the fact of the matter is, you know people who out of an habitual refusal to gather with God's people for worship on Sunday morning have, over time, completely fallen into apostasy. They have rejected Christ as the way of salvation. Now, there's more going on in the heart than we have time to touch on this morning, but please don't, make, don't miss the link that the author of Hebrews makes between the vital necessity for our growth in Christ of being together and the risk of apostasy that comes with seeking to go it alone and not embracing the need, the value, the benefit of being together on Sunday morning for worship. So again, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we encourage one another in worship? What, what does that look like? One author talks about the ministry of presence. I love that phrase. There are all kinds of ministries that we're called to engage in uh, when it comes to church life. And there are all kinds of needs for help in ministry. In this church and in every church, I have yet to talk to a pastor who has said, you know what, we're good. Like, if we don't even need anybody else to show up because we need help with anything. Never happens. All right? 
But this author refers to what he calls the ministry of presence. It's just the, the vital ministry that happens when people gather together. And he points to Hebrews 10 and verse 25. And he, he encourages us to see the connection between not being together and then what happens when we are together. So look at verse 25 again. Not neglecting to meet, dot, 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 but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what's the alternative to staying home? It's engaging in this ministry of encouragement, this ministry of presence by being together. He offers that encouragement to the new members in his church. He says, you know what, there's all kinds of needs we have around here, and I'm so glad that you're here to be a, a member of this church. Um, but, you know, why don't you take a while and just focus on the ministry of presence? Just being here with us. I love it. I want to pass on that encouragement to those of you who are new to Grace Church. Yes, there are all kinds of things that we need help with. Yes, you have gifts that God has given you to engage in that work. But do not go beyond a commitment to the ministry of presence. Start there. Some of us need to be challenged, perhaps, because we've forgotten the ministry of presence, the significance of meeting together. This ministry of presence, I want to say, happens with intentionality. It doesn't just magically happen. In the same way that when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not the case that simply as a result of eating the bread and drinking the cup, somehow magically we are spiritually nourished. We have to engage with intentionality. We have to believe what Scripture says, that Christ is presented to us spiritually for our strength and faith, for our growth. It doesn't just magically happen. It's mysterious, but it's not magic. We have to engage with intentionality. The same is true when it comes to this ministry of presence. We need to engage in this offer to encouragement, to love and good works, with intentionality. Now, one of the ways in which we do that is being intentional about the ways in which we receive the ministry of presence, the ways in which we receive encouragement from other people. And that includes something that you may not have thought of, that is listening to other people sing. Now, if you heard me sing, you're probably like, no, nah, I'm not getting a lot of encouragement. However, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.16, listen to this, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the ways in which we teach one another, encourage one another, admonish one another is as we sing and <laughs> hear each other singing the truth of God's word. John Frame, in his book on worship, the theologian John Frame says this, every Christian is given the responsibility of edifying the body in connection with worship. He's referencing 1024, or 19 through 25, and he's saying this isn't just a matter of us being called to build each other up um, in growth groups, for instance, or build each other up by having people in our homes for meals and, and encouraging them in the gospel then. Frame is saying, and I believe he's saying exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying, is that call of Christians to be engaged in the building up of each other is also directly linked to the worship service gathering. 
And Paul will even say it includes the way in which we sing and hear each other singing. I think about the, the assurance of forgiveness that we, um, that we uh, profess together every week after the confession of sin. That is a way in which with an intentionality we can hear that even as we are speaking it to one another. You want growth in your assurance of faith? This is one of the ways in which God provides it. Not only speaking it, but speaking it knowing that you are speaking it to others and they're hearing so they can hear it and they're speaking it so that you can hear it. That happens here when we're together. So intentionality in terms of how we receive that ministry of presence from others, but also intentionality in terms of how we offer it to others. That includes words of encouragement before and after the service. But I also want to consider something else. And uh, one of the members of the church, a woman who's a member of my growth group, uh, said this when we gathered a few weeks ago for our, um, our growth group lesson. She said, you know, Mark, I, I am not coming right now out of necessity um, because of health concerns that she's dealing with. And what she said, it was, a, it was a great challenge to me, and it's absolutely true. She said, wouldn't it be good if some of the members of Grace Church could come to those of us who can't be there out of necessity so that we can worship together on Sunday morning, you know, watching the service on the live stream? Wouldn't that be a way in which we could be together, even though we're isolated and need to be at home and shouldn't be here right now, what if some of the church body came to us on Sunday morning? I was like, that is so true. So I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But I do think it's something that needs to be done. She said, and I agree, I'm not talking about every week. <laughs> Just once a month even, if we could have that happen. So I'm going to talk with the elders about that, and maybe we can think through how to take that ministry of presence into the presence of those who can't be present with us out of necessity. The result of all this is that the church is built up. There's a call to mutual encouragement, to a mutual stirring up to love and to good works. What the author of Hebrews, therefore, is saying is that it's not just that it may be detrimental to your spiritual health if gathering together or not gathering together becomes a habit in your life. It's not just that that may be detrimental to your spiritual health. To some degree, it's detrimental to our spiritual health as a church because we need to hear from you. We need your encouragement. We need your admonition. We need you to be part of the, the voice that God has brought here to Grace Church to stir us up to love and good works. It's not about what you are losing not just about, what you are losing if not being here becomes habitual. It's also about what we are losing by you not being here as well. The author ends the passage by saying, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love how scripture points us to that far horizon, points us to that day when Jesus Christ draws near to finish everything that he has accomplished for his church to bring to fulfillment all that he has begun in gathering a people and building us up to be a spiritual house 
One day that work will be complete. We have an opportunity now as broken stones, broken living stones being built up by the God of all grace into a spiritual house that reflects and, and uh, proclaims his glory into the world. We have this opportunity for that to take place. One day, when that day comes, that opportunity will be lost. Now, that is going to be a good day. <laughs> it's going to go on forever with no tears and no sin and only full knowledge of God, even as we are fully, I'm not going to say full knowledge, growing knowledge of God, even as we are fully known by God. And complete and full love and unity with one another. Because sin has been dealt with and eradicated forever. That day is coming. But this age, this day, provides an opportunity for us as broken and flawed people to give a preview of the life of heaven. Let's not miss that opportunity by neglecting to meet together. The great benefits of God's grace in this passage are astounding. We have access to the very presence of God and an advocate before him through Jesus Christ. However, because we do often shrink back from God, because we do lack assurance of faith from time to time, and because we do find our hope faltering through the trials of life, and because we do become cold in our love and complacent in our good works, we need the encouragement of the broader body of Christ. We need the encouragement that must characterize our life together that we might maintain our hope until the end. Therefore, do not let non-attendance become a habit. Not only because it may prove detrimental to your spiritual health, but because to some degree we are not as fully built up as Grace Church as we would be were you to be here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the challenge that this text presents. Lord, there's good news here. Even the parts that we find challenging to set aside that well, the things that can lead to habitual non-attendance, the, the individualism that characterizes our culture, or the consumerism that characterizes our culture, or things that uh, pluck the cords of sin in our hearts that lead us to be more self-centered than other-centered. Lord, these are things that are going on at the root of each one of us, whether we're here on Sunday morning or not. There is not one of us who can claim to have risen above the culture in which we live and the sin that we struggle with. And yet, oh God, you offer us grace. You offer us an opportunity to encourage one another in that grace. We all need to hear that encouragement from one another that we might not shrink back from you, that we might not lose hope when, not if, our hope falters, that we might have full assurance of faith because you, Lord Jesus, have finished the work. Oh God, these are strange times in which we live. There are certainly some who by necessity should not be here. But Lord, as we come out of, I pray, Lord, as we come out of a season in which we couldn't meet, 
and continue on in a season that we pray will be times in which we can meet. Lord, I pray that you would build us up as the spiritual house that you have called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.